You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at chargebacks911.com. This episode is a replay of a webinar entitled Recurring Billing Without Recurring Nightmares, featuring experts from Chargebacks 911 and Chargeify. Okay, I'd like to welcome everyone to the webinar uh, with Chargebacks 911 and Chargeify. Um, I want to thank everybody for taking the time to join us today. Um, my name is Jared Wright. I'm the marketing director at Chargebacks 911. And I have to say, I'm sorry. Um, I must begin this webinar with some bad news. Um, Kate, who is supposed to be presenting this webinar uh, with me today, has fallen ill. Um, Kate, Kate, you want to, uh, are you there? I am here. Yeah, so my apologies. Um, currently, I talk for about a minute and then I cough for about four minutes. So um, our marketing director from Chargeify has very graciously. Uh, sorry, that was the coughing and mute. Um, has very graciously offered to take my place. So thank you for being here. And um, the kindest thing I can do for you guys is to make you not listen to me anymore. <laughs> Okay, so um, so as Kate said, uh, Adam is going to be joining us today. He's the marketing director for Chargeify. Um, and Adam, you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what Chargeify does? Sure. Yeah. So as Jared mentioned, um, Adam Fieber, director of marketing at Chargeify. Um, we hate pulling the old bait and switch, but uh, since Kate came down with the play that's sweeping through the U.S., I'll be filling in today. Um, just a quick overview of Chargeify. Don't like making these things too salesy. Uh, we'll field some questions at the end and also feel free to follow up and email us. Uh, my email personal is adam at chargeify.com. We're happy to answer any questions post webinar. Uh, high level overview, you know, Chargeify is a, a leader in the recurring billing and subscription management space. Um, we allow subscription businesses to quickly launch products, change and experiment with pricing accurately bill customers, manage the entire customer lifecycle, which we'll talk about a lot later in the webinar, um, monitor course uh, subscription analytics and a whole lot more. So, you know, and a lot of these capabilities, I think the important thing to note is that it's done without having to create and maintain custom code, which can be a bottleneck and a constraint for a lot of businesses. So we'll, we'll kind of briefly skim through stuff in the webinar and I'll, I'll highlight a few places where Chargeify can help out. But a lot of these tips and tactics are still going to apply no matter what system that you're using. So we hope you get the most out of it. Great. And I, I appreciate you filling in last minute. And before I get started, I just want to go over the basics of how the webinar will be structured. Um, the first part of the webinar will include, include uh, presentations from both myself and from Adam. Um, that the, the first part of the webinar will be fairly visual. So it's important that if possible, you close other windows and give us your attention. Um, the second part of the webinar will be a Q&A where we answer many of the questions that were submitted. Uh, that portion will be less visual. So if you want to work on other stuff, um, you, you, can, you can go ahead and do that. We will answer, excuse me, I did not mean to advance. We will answer uh, all of the questions that were submitted and we will, uh, that includes any questions submitted uh, during the webinar. Uh, if we're unable to answer a question uh, live during the webinar, then we, uh, we will answer your question in written response. And uh, I'm happy to engage with you after the webinar as well. Um, both mine and Adam's email uh, is up on the screen if you want to take it down. Okay, so this first concept is one that I've talked about before. If you've been on other webinars with me, I apologize for uh, repeating myself. I just think that it's, uh, it's an important concept to address. Uh, it's essentially that uh, all uh, charge of acts can be attributed to three things, criminal fraud, merchant error, and friendly fraud. Um, when you're talking about chargeback management or how to reduce chargebacks, it's important to understand why these chargebacks are happening because the systems, um, the processes that you use to address chargebacks is going to be um, uh, dictated by, uh, you know, why chargebacks are happening. For, for this webinar, we're going to go ahead and get rid of criminal fraud because it's just not something that, um, that we're going to cover. It's probably less of an issue for many of the merchants that are using uh, recurring billing, but, uh, but it, is, it, is, it is a concern and it is something that should be addressed. Um, I know many of you 
may have some liability as it relates to affiliate marketing. So you may have criminal fraud that is uh, associated with affiliates. Um, we actually have a solution uh, for that uh, at Chargebacks 911 if you'd like to have a conversation with us. But for, for, for the most part, we're not going to touch on it today. We're going to talk about primarily merchant error and friendly fraud. And the, for, with recurring billing, those are kind of the two big buckets that that, that you're going to be dealing with. Now, when, when I think about merchant error, when I think about friendly fraud, I think it's, I think it's better to look at it as a spectrum. Um, and if we kind of rename uh, sort of the extreme cases, uh, merchant fraud and, and chargeback fraud, where merchant fraud being that uh, the <coughs> merchant essentially processes a payment without providing a service, they're doing something, you know, completely fraudulent. Um, and then chargeback fraud being the instance where, you know, somebody calls their bank because they're trying to get something totally for free, knowingly committing committing fraud or a crime. Um, everything else, for the most part, is, uh, uh, a, a, you know, falls along the spectrum somewhere in between where potentially there's something that the, the merchant did and, 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 you know, maybe the the customer's response was also inappropriate um so essentially all of the chargebacks on the right are going to be representable and all of the chargebacks on the left are presentable or uh, uh preventable uh when you look at this chart the first thing that i think that most people notice is that there's an area in the middle that where there's kind of an overlap what's important to understand is that all of the yellow and all of the orange is technically friendly fraud so all of the orange and all of the yellow can be uh, uh, represented. However, uh, you know, in many cases, uh, you know, a, a prevention strategy is a better strategy. And uh, a major key to success is, is, is making a decision about whether it's better to prevent a, a chargeback or dispute a chargeback. Um, and and this is a this is an example as it pertains specifically to recurring billing. You know, if, if you remind customers ahead of each charge, will will essentially reduce the number of chargebacks you receive, but it could also potentially increase cancellations. And and I think the point here that I that I'd like to make is that uh, that the merchants should engage in A/B testing. So that is to say, what you're trying to do is you're trying to find a a uh, a solution that does both things that reduces chargebacks without uh, decreasing profit. And depending on what your business model is, whether or not you're, you're making the majority of your revenue through long-term recurring 12 rebills, 20 rebills, or if you make the majority of your profit on the first single rebill, um, you're going to have a very different outlook on what the best strategy is. Another, another decision uh, is uh, re revolved around marketing. So for example, the example I always like to give is fast food cheeseburger. Uh, you know, if, if you sold fast food cheeseburgers online, if you sold Big Macs online, you would have a ton of chargebacks because the, the cheeseburger that you actually get is nothing like the cheeseburger that's on the menu. Merchants need to think about, you know, how their marketing can impact the chargebacks that they receive. And on the slide, there's two kind of extreme examples. But in the first example, uh, the the slogan is is one that should drive more sales. Um, and in, in this case, you wouldn't want to go with the the more honest sample, even though you would probably get no chargebacks because because it wouldn't drive sales. So this is an area where um, we encourage merchants to engage in A/B testing, try to figure out where that sweet spot is for them and what their business model is, um, because chargeback prevention is not always the best solution. And I know that Adam a little bit later in this webinar is going to talk about some best practices. I, what I encourage merchants to do is just sort of make a decision for themselves. You know, take the things that work for them. Look for ways to limit your chargeback liability, um, but but do so in a way that is responsible to what you know your your bottom line. Um, now, this is another tip. This this has this is for all people dealing with chargebacks, um, and and I do a uh, Chuck Norris joke here just because because uh, I love Chuck Norris jokes. But um, um, the the point is simply that accurately and effectively effectively disputing chargebacks will reduce the overall number of chargebacks that you receive. Um, your goal should be to develop a reputation for disputing chargebacks. This will force the issuing banks to do their due diligence initiating chargebacks on behalf of their customers. Um, so, so if you think about it, you know, if, if somebody's going to file a chargeback and if the, the issuing bank simply asks them, did you contact the merchant 
or did you try to cancel this recurring billing with the merchant? That can make a huge difference. And so if what you're doing is you're disputing your chargebacks effectively and accurately, and you're disputing as many of those chargebacks as possible, um, what will happen over time is that, that you'll have a positive rep reputation with these issuing banks. And um, and the issuing bank will do a little bit more due diligence, and, and it can make a world of difference. We've seen anywhere from you know, 10, 15, 20% reduction in overall number of chargebacks just by successfully disputing. Now that doesn't mean not, you know, if, if you're if you're disputing but you're losing or if you're disputing and you're getting a lot of second chargebacks, then then you're, you're, you're not achieving, you're not gonna see an overall reduction. So, um, you know, the, the accuracy, the uh, professionalism and uh, the, um, your, your win rate is gonna impact that as well. Okay, I'm, I'm going to throw it over to Adam. He's got some uh, some some best practices from a recurring billing standpoint that that they've uh, they've seen be effective at Chargeify. Um, Adam, you want to you want to take things from here? Yeah, thanks, Jared. Um, so the first one, this actually speaks a little bit to uh, to Jared's point about you know us as marketers can uh, can add a little bit of puffery to uh, to some things, but you know we talk about here we're going to talk about why recurring revenue businesses are plagued by chargebacks, and I think it's important to note. That not all businesses are plagued. Um, definitely, some might be, and if you are, then then it's even more reason to to continue watching and and really kind of take some of the feedback and and try to fold it into your existing strategy. But the fact of the matter is, like subscription businesses are definitely much more prone to chargebacks. Uh, the reason being for that is the first concept, which is the set it and forget it concept. Customers purchase a subscription and they just simply forgot that they purchased it. Um, this is extremely prob problematic with longer annual subscriptions, but it's less of an issue where customers actually interact with your product regularly. So an example for this concept that, that kind of hits home close to home is last year I subscribed to an annual XM radio plan. I thought it'd be a great idea. Um, it originally came free with my vehicle and it came time to renew and I figured I'd continue it. Um, considering I have a whopping one mile commute from my house to my office, I found myself that I rarely used it and forgot about it until it recently hit the annual renewal. So in that case, I reached out to XM and they said that it happens all the time and that they'd be happy to refund my charge and cancel those subscriptions. So we'll talk about refunds uh, a little bit later on, but it's a good example of the set it and forget it policy. And in my case, I had purchased it a year ago and just completely forgot about it and didn't use the service. The other one is very common. Um, customers just mean to cancel and then they forget. So a lot of times subscribers have complete intentions of canceling, but don't, simply don't, or they forget until they're reminded by the charge. Um, because of this, it's common to see spikes at the beginning of renewal periods. So another personal story hits close to home. It seems like I, I kind of cleaned up a lot of my, uh, my subscription services and renewals in January, but um, I have a new baby at home. And by new baby, I mean 12 months, but through the last 12 months, I found myself with little to no free time to watch Netflix. And I've been a huge Netflix subscriber for, for a long time since the days of uh, DVD um, delivery without the streaming service. Um, I used it and I was a very power user, but I just didn't time myself using it. So for months, I'd see the transaction come and it would serve as a reminder for me to take the time to cancel. And I just simply did it. And that's on me, not, uh, not on Netflix. But finally, last month, I said, you know what, I'm spending this, but I'm not actually using the service. I need to go in and cancel it, and I finally did. So in a perfect world, customers would simply log in and cancel their accounts for their subscription services or contact your support team. But unfortunately, that's not always the case, and many initiate chargebacks instead. So that's what we're going to touch on in the coming next few slides is just some best practices to help eliminate that um, and you know, make your business stronger and keep your customers happy. So before getting into the tips, just one quick slide. Um, chargebacks are expensive, so which is why decreasing chargebacks is so important. Uh, there are various different reasons that Jared mentioned, such as reputation score, but I'm just gonna talk specifically about a few things related to cost. Um, here you'll see, this is a note from LexisNexis. They said that merchants lose $240 for every $100 in fraud. So that number, the reason it's so high is because there's a lot of costs that you don't factor in or think about as it relates to subscription businesses and chargebacks. Not only do you have the chargebacks fees, but when you're offering a subscription service, somebody is going to be filing a chargeback at the, in the arrears of what the services that they've already used. So 
you know, maybe if you have like a physical box, uh, you know, or, or ship physical goods, you have cost of goods sold and shipping costs. Um, if you're providing software or streaming services or hosting, you have server costs. Uh, there's customer uh, support costs. If people have been using support through the service and actually have been using it before they initiated a chargeback. You know, and in the end, all these little different factors adds up. And I think Jared could definitely attest that the number is even much higher than $240 for every 100. Um, so I think every case is going to be a little bit different depending upon your business. But, you know, the short end of it is chargebacks are expensive. So any types of steps that you can take to help eliminate and reduce those, it's going to be much more beneficial to your business in the long run. So we'll jump in with some of the best practices to prevent chargebacks in the first place. So the first one, encourage your customers to contact you directly with any issues and respond promptly when they do. This one seems like common sense, but many companies just don't do this right or do this well. Um, whether your customer has a concern, complaint, general questions, questions about billing, wants to cancel, etc., you should always encourage them to contact you directly and make it easy to do so. Um, we can't communicate how important this one is, and you should make it very easy to access the phone number, email, chat, or whatever means you guys use um, for your own business. So make sure to respond to requests in a timely manner. Train your employees on how to handle upgrades, downgrades, unhappy customers, angry customers, customers that want to cancel. Um, and it's important to note that your customer service team is a very integral part in chargeback prevention strategy. And we can't stress that enough. And we'll touch on that a little bit more in a few points. Um, so these tips might not help prevent true fraudulent chargebacks, but they do give you a chance to address legitimate issues with ethical customers. Um, and you're going to continue to see this communication theme throughout a lot of the tips that we're going to cover. All right, be transparent. Um, this is uh, this is the balance where we're marketing. Um, is going to want to hype things up a little bit, but it's it's extremely important to be transparent when a prospect's first reaching your researching your product or service. Um, make sure everything correctly describes what's included, how it works, etc. In the screen here, you see Groove uh, Groove's example. It's a software tool uh, for support. Um, they make it very clear: 30-day trial. After the trial ends, you get access to all the features for just $19 per agent per month. And then a call to action to go ahead and try group for free. When you actually get to the point of transaction, whether that be post a free trial and then someone actually has to enter their credit card information or pay, um, maybe it's you don't offer a free trial and someone's just going to subscribe to your service. You know, the, the be transparent theme continues on. And I think this is probably where it's even more critical. Um, this is just an example, and again, I'll kind of sprinkle in a few just like things that Chargeify enables and, and helps with these processes and tips. But for a lot of our customers, they use our out-of-the-box sign-up pages. So this is an example um, of a sign-up page that maybe a Chargeify customer might use. And you'll see it's very important to highlight certain things, which, which our platform does uh, and makes it pretty easy to configure. In this example, um, it shows the amount that's billing now. It's very important to know that when someone enters their credit card information, they know that my, in this case, today's total is going to be $960. Um, it's just, you know, again, being transparent and making sure the person understands what they're about to do. The next thing that's important is to really uh, communicate the next step. So in this case, um, today's total is $960, but then $960 on your next renewal, which will be on January 30th, 2019, because in this case, it's an annual plan. So you're telling them what they're paying now, you're telling them when their next renewal date's gonna be, and then any anticipated charges for that. Next slide, we're gonna talk about the billing descriptor. It should match as closely as possible to your business. So the billing descriptor is also known as the credit card statement identifier. And it's what is going to show on the customer's credit card statement for the charge. There's usually a limit of about 25 characters plus your phone number. And it's extremely important to make sure that descriptor is something that your customer will know and not a parent company that's unfamiliar to the buyer. So for example, if someone signed up for Chargeify, but we had our descriptor as Vandalay Industries on the credit card statement, they might immediately contact the bank thinking it was fraudulent. So it's important to be very crystal clear there. Um, a great example, and I love this one, is a popular project management tool, Basecamp ran into this issue because they are 
Basecamp is a product under their parent company, 37 Signals. So they had a lot of people that were seeing 37 Signals on their uh, statements and being confused by the issuing chargebacks, not sure what the charge is. So they took a unique approach and they changed their billing descriptor to be a URL. As you can see here, 37signals-charge.com. And from that URL, they created a landing page that just says, why is there a charge on my card? It's a monthly charge for one of our products. So if someone questioned that in any way, they just simply go to the website. They'll immediately see here, oh yeah, I'm subscribed to Basecamp. This makes a lot of sense. So I love the approach that they did this. And as a result of this, let's go back here. As a result of this, their chargebacks actually decreased 30% using this tactic. So I think it's a great one to you know, think about how it might apply to your company, especially if your company uh, is doing business as another company that the person might have signed up for. So the billing descriptor set at the gateway processor level, um, it's usually pretty easy to update, but every provider is gonna be different. So if you don't know how to update it or locate it, reach out to them and they'll be able to help you. Making it clear how your free trial works and when they're gonna be charged. So this one might not be applicable to everyone, but if you have a free trial, I think this is a really important one. Um, give your trialers ample notice. Oh, sorry, let me take a step back there. Make sure you cover how long your free trial is and if they're automatically going to be moved to a paid plan when the trial is over, make sure to communicate what's gonna happen. This is a great one um, from Unbounce. They did a great job at answering the questions right on the free trial, trial signup page. Um, it clearly states that if the user does not cancel that they're automatically gonna be billed at the end of the 30-day trial. And this is a pretty simple one to do. Um, you know, some companies, I think it's in many buckets of a no regrets thing that a lot of companies should have. Um, if you're concerned that it might cause a little bit of friction, it's definitely something that you should A-B test. Um, I think in the end, if you can A-B test something like this and shows that it either improves or doesn't decrease, you know, just remain same as the previous experiment, it's a great one to go with and it makes it very clear and sets the expectations. Um, the important thing once you get somebody into the trial process is also communicating with them when they're going to be charged, when the trial is ending and what's going to happen afterwards. So this is where you want to give trialers ample notice about the free trials about to expire and reiterate what's going to go on when it ends. So on the screen, again, you'll see another little uh, uh, Chargeify feature here that we've sneaked in, but we, we have a range of automated communications that you can use to send to your subscribers based on various different subscription events. In this case, this is an example for a trial ending email that you can just set up, um, you configure it, and then it automatically sends these things out whenever someone's on a trial. Um, there's, in this case, um, you'll see some sample text here, but it covers a lot of the key points that you wanna make sure you reiterate in these types of emails. If the trial is gonna expire, when it's about to expire. In this case, it says your free trial is gonna expire on February 7th, 2018. Um, if they're gonna be charged, it, for example, in the unbounced case, that after the 30-day free trial ends, they have collected credit card information, so it's immediately gonna start charging unless they cancel. So this one says that the you know, person's gonna be charged for an estimated amount of 1099 uh, on that date. And then this is the most important one, and we'll also mention this a few more things. In any types of these communications, include how they can contact you with plan and billing related questions. So that way, if someone doesn't want to continue this, um, another thing you might want to add in here is if they do want to cancel, uh, how can they do that? But at a minimum, have that contact information so they'll easily be able to reach out and say, hey, you know, I have a question about this. Can I extend my trial? Can I cancel? Um, can I maybe upgrade? You know, there, it prevents all sorts of prevent presents all sorts of opportunities to get in touch with your customers and build a relationship with them. Notifying before and after recurring charges is billed. So you can see some examples on the screen here uh, of subscription emails that we get. Uh, I love SEM Rush does a great job at using this as an opportunity to remind the person what the plan includes uh, and show the value that they're providing. So in our case, we're subscribed to SEM Rush, and every month we get our transaction email to let us know that our account was charged. They use it as an opportunity to say that with this subscription, I have access to 3,000 reports a day and 10,000 results per report, et cetera, et cetera. And it's great because it just provides an opportunity to, to strengthen that value that you're providing them. So both of these examples show off communication after the transaction has occurred. And I think it's a pretty standard best practice that a lot of companies deploy. 
But if chargebacks are an issue, another thing that's worth testing is a reminder email before a transaction takes place. Um, we've had many companies uh, do this and, and have a lot of success with it. Um, if you're plagued by chargeback, it's definitely something you might want to try out. If it's not as much of an issue, um, it's either something that you could try and uh, test and you know evaluate if it's right for your company or not do. But in both these cases, these are things, you know, speaking back to those automated emails we showed off uh, for the end of trial workflow. Similarly, you can configure these things so that you can send an email before someone's about to be charged, just giving them a heads up, hey, in three days, we're going to be charging your card $49 for your product or service. Um, and then also, in most cases, people want to have uh, something post-transaction to just send as like a transactional receipt. And those are things that are easily configurable in Chargeify. So the next one here, offering refunds, is, uh, is definitely a taboo and controversial subject. This is a, a great quote from Jason Lemkin, and he points out that once subscribers cancel their write-off, no matter what the refund is. And I think it's important to note that offering refunds is something that you need to be flexible with. It's okay with having a no refund policy. But if someone wants to cancel and maybe forget about the subscription until after the transaction takes place and they communicate with you guys and are very vocal about it, it's something they definitely need to consider. Um, unhappy customers that demand a refund are typically the ones that are most vocal. And most vocal customers are the, are the ones that initiate the chargebacks and plaster negative feedback all over social media, review sites, if they don't feel like they're getting treated right. So, you know, it's a taboo subject. Some, some have an re open refund policy. Some companies have a no refund policy. Our recommendation is definitely to play it by a case by case basis. If you have very unhappy, angry, vocal customers, you know, they're already gone. It's a loss. Uh, the cost that we've already talked about before of someone initiating a chargeback is much more than probably what your, um, cost is going to be to just refunding uh, whatever amount for a previous period. So handle it on a case-by-case -case basis and know that not every cancellation is going to request a refund. Almost done here. I think we got two more tips. So being proactive with anti-fraud measures. So asking a little bit more information up front is definitely going to help guard against fraudulent transactions. You should always require the CVV code, also known as the card verification code. Um, it's the, the reason for this is it's typically a number that only the actual cardholder is going to have. So it's a very small ask to just say enter a three or four digit number to confirm the card. Um, and it's going to help uh, prevent a lot of headaches in the long run. The other one is enabling uh, AVS or address verification system to verify billing address. This can be in multiple different forms depending upon your billing provider and your workflows, but you can ask for the full billing address. Um, maybe you just ask for the billing zip code and, you know, it's something that's typically enabled via your payment gateway. Um, and it's something, these two things, the CVV and ABS are definitely little asks, little asks that, you know, just asking a little bit more information is going to save a lot of time in the long run. So if, uh, you know, one takeaway here, if somebody doesn't want to sign up, for your service or is going to bail because they're asked for a little bit more information. The end result is they're probably one, not a good customer that sees a lot of value in your product is since something so small will deter them. And two, they probably, if they do continue through it, won't stick around for the long haul. Um, so, you know, take these for what it's worth, employ them, charge back 911 is a wealth of resources for more advanced anti-fraud tools on top of the CVV and ABS. So they're, they're also someone they should reach out to and, and find out to dig deeper into some of the more complex use cases. And the last one here, um, this, is, uh, this is already a pretty common practice, offer, offering tiered pricing plans. Um, in this case, we're showing off Netflix, Netflix's pricing, just uh, we referenced it before, so it's a pretty uh, common one that everyone's familiar with. So, Tiers give an option to be able to downgrade instead of cancel to retain access to some basic features that customers may use. So in my case, you know, I was on the 1099 plan. Maybe I didn't just want to cancel. I just, I only watched on one TV. I don't necessarily need HD if I do watch it. I could have downgraded to the 799 plan, paid a little bit less, 
and still retained access to Netflix just in case I did find the time to watch it. So um, while this won't appease everyone, having the option can help retain customers from prevent chargebacks. And you know the concept of tiered pricing is pretty common practice and a lot of people already employ this, but it's definitely an approach that should constantly be changing and evolving over time. And, and this is something where, uh, just a, a last shameless plug here with uh, Chargeify, but this is kind of where Chargeify's core functionality really shines through here. So one of the main primary benefits is being able to create and modify packages and pricing models to be, meet different customer needs. So, you know, in this case, and, and this isn't something that Netflix has done, but it's something that, you know, as you think about this conceptually, they could do. Um, if you think about people that, that rarely watch it and don't want to pay 1099 for the service, you know, Think about how other ways you could bill it that someone might just uh, be more likely to, you know, remain a customer for a long time if you change a different billing model. In this case, like, what if you offered, what if Netflix offered a pay per hour model that was more appealing? You know, a dollar per hour per streaming service. If I only want to watch one show a month, I pay a dollar. You know, things like that is just thinking about different ways to bill. Um, in being able to implement quickly those different types of billing models and packages through Chargeify makes it easy and allows you to test out a lot of different stuff to understand what customers are wanting to pay for and what they're willing to pay for. So with that, I will, uh, I will kick it back over to Jared and I think we'll field some questions. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I think you did a great job there, Adam. Um, yeah, just, just a couple of things from, uh, from this standpoint that I want to hit on or uh, on this slide that I want to hit on. First of all, Adam, I don't believe you. I think you do watch Netflix. Um, but um, but something that, that's important to understand in this is uh, th that, you know, downgrading a subscription uh, can be a preferable option. And um, just anecdotally, I, I had a subscription for a uh, SaaS solution that I'm not going to mention here, but um, but I accidentally bought in at a, a higher subscri subscription level that I ended up needing. I sort of misunderstood, you know, how the pricing worked. And then um, the the solution made it impossible for me to downgrade. I only had the option to cancel or uh, keep the subscription. It wouldn't let me modify my my subscription down. And, um, you know, I so, of course, I had nothing left to do but cancel. And uh, I haven't gone back and signed up, even though at the time I would have, uh, you know, gladly just downgraded uh, my subscription. But I got such a bad uh, taste from uh, not having that option. So. So definitely, again, this plays plays into the A/B testing thing, but it's it's definitely something that, that I believe in. And then another slide that uh, I really liked of Adams is uh, this example here from SEM Rush. I think it's a great idea when you do the notification email if you if you use it as an opportunity to to reengage with the customer, re, re sort of get them excited about the value that they're getting from you uh, for the subscription. Uh, you know, for example, if if you're if it's a sub subscription for you know vitamins or Nutra or a weight loss product, you know if if the reminder email also included um, you know some some positive information about uh, their diet or some dieting tips or s some other way to sort of get them engaged with the reason that they're uh, a member of your subscription uh, to begin with, I think is is a great idea. And that way, you turn something that could potentially be a liability from a cancellation standpoint into something that strengthens your relationship with that customer so I think that those are yeah I think that's a and great another, and another one on that I mean we, we also see customers that use as an opportunity to not just show what's included in a plan but also dynamically pull usage data from what somebody's doing let's just use a random example and this is Hootsuite's one of those that's on there and they don't do this it's an opportunity for them but you know in that transactional email it could just say like hey your monthly recap last month you sent you know, 200 tweets had 400 clicks, um, had an engagement rate of X, you know, number of shares. Like we see a lot of people, I think I want to say Zapier might be one of the ones that pulls this. So like in their receipt, they might show like how many zaps or like tasks were, were automated in the previous month. And it, it just strengthens the fact that you're getting a lot of value out of it. So there's many different approaches to that. And that's kind of where marketing can overlap and come into play. But, you know, think about that angle and, and what works best for your company. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, 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 the worst thing for, for you as a business is for people to remember their subscription while they're looking at their statement. <laughs> um, because, you know, usually when they're looking at their statement, they're doing it online. And depending on who they have, you know, I, I know my online banking, there's just a button next to every single charge. And all, all I have to do is press that button if I decide that, I don't, you know, if, if I want to dispute that charge, if it's if I want to say it's a criminal charge or if I want to, you know, uh, dispute it in any way. It's very easy to do it. So you don't want them to remember the subscription while they're looking, while they're in the place where it's easy for them to dispute it. Um, so so finding a way to remind them, finding a way to maintain that relationship, um, you know, while, uh, uh, while they're not actively, you know, accessing their bank account is, is a good idea. Uh, if, if what your goal is, is to reduce chargebacks. Okay, so uh, the first question is, uh, what tools have proven to effectively eliminate friendly fraud? And so there's a little bit, this is, this is kind of a, this is one of those magic bullet questions, and I wish I had a magic bullet. Uh, you know, this, this webinar would be five minutes long, I would tell you about the magic bullet, and I'd tell you how to get one, um, but, but there isn't one. You know, uh, friendly fraud, as I was kind of explaining, or the, the point that I was trying to make with the gradient, is usually a dissatisfied customer. Um, and not all dissatisfied customers are going to file chargebacks, and certainly not all instances of friendly fraud there could have they could be prevented at all. Um, but there's not a magic thing that you can do. Like there's not something that you can put in your terms of service. You can't have them agree to something, or you can't you know get a fingerprint of theirs. There's there's really nothing you can do to prevent a customer from calling their bank and filing a dispute if they feel dissatisfied or they feel like they've they've you know been ripped off in some way by you. Um, so, so there's really no way to eliminate it and there's not, there's not really, uh, tools that, that can do that. It's, it's really a lot of different systems, uh, working together. So it's, it's a fairly complicated process and, um, and, and I just, I just want people to think about it in, in the larger sense and, you know, not, not hope for there to be a, you know, a magic single fix for, for, uh, friendly fraud. Um, that being said, you know, if if what your concern is, is, you know, uh, going above your 1% threshold with your uh, processor and, you know, losing your merchant account, um, you know, there are chargeback alerts. And the way that those work is they will notify you of a chargeback before it actually happens. So that is to say, a customer contacts their bank, they initiate a chargeback, but instead of the chargeback actually going through, you are notified and then you have the opportunity to cancel that that transaction and refund that money uh, instead of in, in lieu of getting the chargeback. So if if you're you know at that 0.99% chargeback threshold and what you're what you're trying to do is just you know reduce those chargebacks, uh, chargeback alerts can be an effective tool. But they're just they're just one of the tools that you need to uh, uh, implement, um, and and they're not the right fit for for all businesses. Uh, what is the most effective way to reduce chargebacks without impacting revenue? Um, you know, Adam and I were talking about this a little bit because we're both marketing guys. So A-B testing is, you know, it's in our blood. Uh, you know, we, we, we basically came out of uh, came out of the womb, and, you know, understanding how to A-B test. Uh, but I think in other parts of the business, I think it's less less common. It's a little bit less natural for, you know, uh, the people in the finance or billing departments uh, to, to, to think about A-B testing. Um, but, but, but definitely, you know, finding the opportunities, uh, where your, your expectation is that making the change might reduce, uh, the number of conversions or the number of, uh, rebills, uh, and then, and then AB testing it. And then, you know, because there's going to be opportunity there that, that you don't expect. So for example, if you have a, some type of guarantee or some type of marketing language that, um, you believe is driving sales, but you you suspect is also, uh, encouraging chargebacks, then, you know, try a campaign that doesn't use or uses a modified version of that. Because I think a lot of times there are things that merchants are doing where they're, you know, increasing their chargeback liability in a, uh, you know, in an effort to, you know, you know, get as many rebills as possible and uh, uh, acquire as many customers as possible. And, you know, in a lot of cases, the things that they're doing aren't really impacting sales, but they are impacting chargebacks. So the only way to know that, of course, is to is to A/B test to to you know really build that data on 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 your end. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah. Go, yeah. go ahead, Adam. 
I mean, this one is, and I think actually someone else asked a question that's probably going to overlap a lot on this. Um, so we will dig deeper into that one. Um, what role does marketing play in, in preventing chargebacks? And, and I think that this is it. I mean, the most effective way to do it without impacting me to what Jared said, like A-B testing is the only way that you'll truly know that it's not impacting revenue. But the most effective way to do it, I mean, we went, you know, a lot of that covered in the tips above, but it's everything from your website to your sign up page to your enter your billing information page to the, the uh, you know, emails and uh, receipts post pre and post transaction to all sorts. I mean, all the communication and customer touch points throughout the way, just getting crisp and clear and constantly evolving and playing around with that messaging. Um, and again, I mean, there's some things that are kind of no regrets and you should just do as a best practice if you're not already doing them that we may have covered. And then, you know, a lot of the stuff on, on some of the pages, the sign up page, the marketing side, I mean, your best thing to do is going to be to A-B test those if you have the capability um, and tools to do so. And if not, you know, just kind of do a litmus test, like make changes, see, see how it uh, kind of compares as a benchmark and, and keep refining and chipping away at that. But you know, be transparent, you know, be crisp and clear with all that stuff. And um, I think you'll, you'll notice a lot of, uh, a lot of improvements and, and impacts as it relates to chargebacks. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, what can we do to challenge fraud reason codes? Uh, okay, so this actually goes back to the buckets that I had at the beginning of the presentation, where essentially I was saying that there's, you know, criminal fraud, merchant error and friendly fraud. Um, so, so reason codes uh, for people that don't know, those are those are the codes that the uh, um, card networks use and the uh, 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 issuing bank assigns to each chargeback, and it, and it's supposed to give you a a good idea of why the chargeback is happening. So, um, the one from recurring billing that you see is um, you know re uh, canceled recurring or something like that, and um, but a lot of times you'll get. Uh, you know, um, don't recognize charge, or you, you'll get the reason codes that uh, indicate criminal fraud. Um, but the thing to understand is that friendly fraud uses all of the reason codes, um, or most of the reason codes. Uh, so, so just because it's a fraud reason code doesn't mean that that you can't dispute it. Um, so, you know, if if you're sure that it's friendly fraud and you have the evidence to prove that it's friendly fraud, I mean, if you have a delivery address that matches the billing address that, you know, um, there's there's a lot of different ways, you know, it's, it's important not to overly rely on the information that's contained within um, uh, uh, reason codes. Um, in fact, one of the, the solutions that we have at Chargebacks 911 is called intelligent source detection. And that's kind of a fancy name for, um, you know, a, a, a process of human uh, forensics and uh, uh, intelligent data collection, where essentially our goal is to identify the source of chargebacks, because we've realized that, um, that reason codes, while they're valuable, um, aren't aren't always a, a, a great indicator of why the chargeback is happening. Um, and, and in order to effectively dispute and effectively mitigate chargebacks, um, it's important that you have a real sense of uh, why chargebacks are happening. Uh, and then this next question is, when are banks gonna start, stop treating membership cancellations as chargebacks? Um, I, I think I think this one. I think what the asker wants to know is, um, you know, uh, I, I, I don't. I'm, I'm not sure <laughs> to be honest with. You. I don't. I don't have an answer for this one because I don't fully fully understand it. Um, but but I but I, I think I think I understand the frustration. Um, and the frustration is, you know, look, if somebody wants to cancel their membership, they can cancel their membership on our website. Um, you know. Why, when they contact their bank, do do we need to refund that money and, and you know deal with the chargebacks? Um, you, you know, I, I think what's important to understand is that the issuing bank, their customer is your customer. So it's you know the the person that they're trying to serve is their customer. So you know, a lot of times, unfortunately, those issuing banks don't do their due diligence and ask the the their customer simple questions like, "Did you try to cancel? Were you able to cancel? Um, were you aware that it was recurring billing?" Um, so, so I, you know, I I understand your frustration, but I don't know that, you know, I don't know that there's ever going to be a solution for that. So probably the answer is never, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but you know, I if I understand the question correctly. 
how do we identify issues before they turn into chargebacks? I think Adam, you you had some thoughts on this one, right? Yeah, um, you know this is this is an interesting one. I mean, you have to you're going to have to have issues to be able to identify them and correct them. Um, so completely being ahead of it is uh, is very hard to to identify. Um, you know, I'd say that the most important thing here, and we mentioned in a slide above, is talk to and communicate with your support team. Um, they're on the front lines and they're gonna be able to identify the issues that exist and work towards correcting them. You know, they're gonna, they're gonna see common denominators and like, hey, we have a lot of people that didn't understand the subscription terms um, and that they were gonna be billed after the trial ended. And you say, then you gotta take that feedback and say, okay, we need to make it clear when the trial ends, you're gonna be charged. Um, that, I mean, that continues to go like uh, the theme it's going to have various different examples, but you know they're on the front lines, and they were your your success and support teams are really kind of a, a big key player in the, um, your chargeback prevention strategy. So you know communicate with them often. You know find out what you know what kind of questions and problems arise. Are there ones that have recurring problems and, and you know common denominators that keep popping up? Take that feedback, listen to it, make changes, see if it helps it, and keep whittling away at that until. To a lot of those problems are, are non-existent yeah I would, I would agree adam and i understand the challenge because it's it you know especially if you're talking about a b testing it's it, it it is difficult because you know a lot of times you make a change today and you're and you don't see the chargebacks for 30 days 60 days down the road um so, so it's hard to sort of close that loop and make the connection between the the issues that you're that you're having now and the the resultant chargebacks a month or two from now um but but really the way to sort of you know fill that information in is like adam suggested is just rely on your um frontline uh customer service communication branch of your company because they're going to have that feedback for you they're 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 fielding the complaints they're fielding the questions and um you know i think it's i think it's important to sort of mine that uh feedback and and try to identify um liabilities you know as they arise before you you start having to you know realize that you have a chargeback issue that as a result of a change or an issue that 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 you know potentially is two or three months old okay and adam you kind of talked about this one and i i think you know i think i addressed this one during the slide i think marketing is is a big role um particularly you know if you have affiliate marketing i mean that's a whole other can of worms because uh uh, you know, <laughs> affiliates will, will will promise, you know, all kinds of things, you know, in your marketing, you have control over it. But if you have somebody referring somebody to your website, they may have, you know, promised a free gift card or, a, you know, 100% guarantee or, you know, um, that, that you're going to lose 50 pounds in the first uh, uh, two months or whatever. Um, so yeah, yeah, there's, there's a lot of challenges there. Marketing is definitely a, a place to look to make adjustments and to make improvements. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, as marketers, uh, we're always going to lean more towards being a little bit more provocative. Um, it's kind of in our, our DNA, but, um, you know, this not to be a dead horse here, but the, the theme continues through. I mean, it's just, you know, be provocative, but be realistic. And then, you know, blue marketing in and, 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 you know, a lot of organizations I've worked with, they've, uh, they've not necessarily had marketing involved with a lot of the touch points for subscriptions. So like we talked about, like the, the sign up pages and the transactional emails and, you know, all that type of stuff. So like loop them in and help them craft and refine all that type of communication. Um, and, uh, and feel free to, to kind of scale them back when they're, they're being a little bit, you know, pushing the boundaries a little bit too much. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay. Right, we've got a couple more here. Um, how can this be proven in a rebuttal letter that the cardholder did not cancel their recurring billing? Um, <clears throat> okay. So this is a little bit of a complicated question, uh, you know, and so I'm just going to give the, the general advice that, that we give when disputing chargebacks. Um, and, and that is to provide all of the supporting evidence to um, that, that um, disputes the reason for the chargeback. So that is to say, if it's, if it's recurring, um, you know, look for uh, IP matches, you know, try to try to collect as much information you can from your CRM, from your, uh, 
you, you know, um, your your processor from from all of those data collection points. You know, um, if they've engaged with your customer service at all, you know, try try to pull in all of that data, um, but don't pull in data that is irrelevant. One of the mistakes that you know, I'm not going to name any names, but a lot of competitors use is that they kind of have a a very uh, automated system, and it works great for a very specific, you know, narrow type of chargeback. But um, a lot of times, it doesn't acknowledge um, all of the all of the different variances there, and it and it doesn't have access to a lot of the information that uh, a more manual process has. Um, and and what it'll do is it'll just pull all kinds of information, put it into a uh, uh, a dispute case, and then I'll send it off. And and sometimes that'll work, but a lot of times it doesn't. So, so, so what what we recommend is compiling all of the relevant data, no more or no less, um, and uh, and then and then and then putting that into a dispute case. Um, you know, the the second answer to that is just contact Chargebacks nine one one. And uh, and I'll throw a third one in there, and I think this speaks more to the first point, but um, not as not as another plug for Chargeify here, but it is a very valid one that a lot of our customers use. Um, you know, essentially, I mean, a lot of people kind of refer to it internally. We don't like it as a CRM for your subscriber. So it's, it is a subscription management tool. So once you get people in the door and subscribe to their plans, you have access to, to locate all of the different subscription activity and information. So, you know, just as another tool and, and um, you know, provide a little bit more ammo. You can usually log in to Chargeify if someone, you know, is claiming that they canceled their account, but they didn't actually. Uh, you can go pull up their record, you screenshot it, show that, you know, their account is still active and no no cancellation action has been taken. Um, you have access to like email logs. So if you need to pull like an email and show that you sent them an email that clearly communicated what they were charged for, when they were charged for, when their next renewal was. You know, all that type of stuff, I mean, every little bit of information helps. And if you can prove that you've, you've been communicating with them and been open and honest with it, you know, those are great types of things that you can include in, in that type of response. Yeah. What is the best defense against customers who said that they forgot they signed up for an automatic renewal over the phone? Um, yeah, so Adam, you and I were talking about this a little bit and I, you know, um, I'm actually, I don't have information. I, I will provide um, some some written information on this. I, I think what they're asking is, um, you know, you know, how do you how do you show that you went over the terms and conditions with them if it was a verbal confirmation over the phone? Um, I'm sure that there's a process in place for this. I, I don't know specifically what that looks like. Um, so so I, I can't answer the 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 question um, with any type of specificity. Um, uh, Adam, did you have anything on this one? Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing that I'd add to this is uh, don't just leave it there. Let's say, I mean, we it's not as common, but it is still not uncommon, if that makes sense, to, yeah. uh, to have uh, companies that take subscriptions over the phone. And don't just leave it there. So if you do have that option and someone can call in and enter their credit card information, you know, maybe press one to agree to the terms, when that conversation is over and someone has successfully subscribed to your service, don't just end it there because there is no record of or, or anything to remind them of what they just did. So this is a prime example of like after that, you let's say someone does a phone confirmation and subscribes to a service. As soon as that transaction takes place, like send them an email that says, you know, hey, thanks for subscribing. Here's the, you know, just an overview of what you subscribe to. And you know, so that way there's at least some sort of record. So if anything, that at least provides a little bit more defense of saying they forgot over the phone because you may have subscribed over the phone, but we gave you something that uh, that reminded you and that you had in your inbox. Um, so that's, you know, it's just another safety precaution that will definitely help in this case. Okay. All right. I think that's it. I want to thank everybody again for coming. We'll let you get back to your uh, uh, busy Thursday afternoon. Um, let me go back up to this other slide. So in the event that you want to email I or Adam to, to ask us any questions or complain about how boring the webinar is, um, oops, I went a little, little too far back, um, there's, there's our contact information. So we're available uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, have any additional questions, we'd be happy to try to answer them um, individually with you. So. Um, yep. Thanks everyone for joining, and uh, definitely if any any questions specifically directed to Chargeify, don't don't hesitate to just reach out to that email there, and we'll, we'd be happy to field them. All right, thanks guys. All right, bye.